you don't know what word you're going to guess next. There's there's no, no telling what's going to happen. Yeah. It keeps it fresh. I should say to anybody who's lost their wordle streak, you know, I feel for you. And no you're shame. not alone. No shame. Okay, just get back on that word. There are literally course. dozens of us. <laughs> Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 357 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the webs programmer. I'm Sam and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is March 31th, 2020 U. Before we get started, we have a warning there's going to be profanity in this show. Uh, and also, we'd like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. We got a donation with a message from Rob, who says, I'm still playing Levelhead, and it's still incredible. It's just <laughs> so good. It is. The podcast is great. You're all amazing. Have a coffee. Thanks. Oh, thanks. That's very uh, positive. So thank you very much, that Rob. That's the most positive great message. collective message I think I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah, he just, kept, <laughs> he just piled them on. Yeah, uh, into it. Love it. Love it. Uh, and of course, we'd like to thank our recurring supporters as well, who uh, who donate monthly. So thank you very much. All right, now let's talk about let's talk about life. Yeah. Let's talk about word wordle. Yeah, wordle. I have I have something I have a secret to divulge. To the is this a life world. thing or a game? Because we do have a game segment that periodically too. You know? That's true. So I mean, whatever category it falls into, I would play wordle. Well, for, first off, wordle. Nail it. it, nail it, or whiff. It nails it. Clearly, <laughs> it nails, nails it. Nails yeah. it. Okay. So, Wordle what is, is a it? word game for those who aren't familiar. Uh, that now mm-hmm. is purchased by the New York Times. So it's sort of like a New York Times crossword puzzle, you know, for the for the Zoomer generation, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, it was originally developed so, by a guy for his as a game for his wife. Um, he developed it in collaboration with her over like a year or something. Mostly, mostly like getting the word list was kind of what a lot of that time was. Uh, yeah, and then it kind of it's been around for a while, but it was like kind of increasingly just kind of growing, you know. And then it blew up and got so big that just everybody was doing it, especially on Twitter. That was like kind of the main hub of activity. Yep. And then the New York Times was like, "Can we have this for? I think it's like a million bucks or something like that." It was some. It was a considerable very nice, chunk of tidy change. sum. Yeah. Yes. So the interesting thing about it is it's a so it's a simple word game where you have five letters. Uh, a five-letter word that you're trying to guess, and you have six tries to guess it. The mechanics of the game are simple, which is that for every word you put in, it'll tell you if you have a correct letter, which shows up yellow, and then if you have a correct letter in the correct place, which shows up green. So basically what you're trying to do is go from totally black, mm. empty squares to uh, figuring out, piecing together over your six tries All what exactly a word would be. Yeah. So very fun, very good time. Um, and I've just been... Most mornings, I uh, wake up, my wife and I just sort of do the wordle real fast and figure out you know, what it is. Uh, and it could be a real emotional journey, you know, especially if you get hit by a <laughs> double letter. Because, of course, if it's a double letter, you know, you're to guess mm-hmm. it once and then you're not going to get. Yeah, you, you just don't realize to, it could be in there again. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's things you'll learn over time of doing it. So I had or to, you get some of those words, because especially like the five letter word category, where like there's a lot of. There's a lot of words where, like, you can take two letters and swap them out to, like, yes. create, like, literally 100 words, depending on which letters go in those two slots, you know? And yeah. so sometimes and so this, you end that up exact problem is sort of like, that's, for me, I always go try to find the weirdest letter in the word because the thing that signifies the most uniqueness about that word so that you can more easily guess the remaining fill letters, right? Uh, some people go for, like, let's get all the vowels in. 
which I think is useless because those don't tell me anything typically about like what the word could be versus getting like an L or W, right? So I've been doing this for, you know, uh, I think like a month and a half. I have a 46 streak, okay, of wordling. Haven't lost one. Haven't even come mm. close to losing one, frankly. Uh, I think I haven't had to have a sixth try ever. And it's today, today, uh, woke up to do it and put in my thing. And then hit one of those positions where I have, as Adam was saying, for me, what is the cursed situation, which is you have two or three of the letters, usually bookended, so like two in the front and then the final one. And now you're just cycling other pairs of letters and yeah. making There's like, no hmm. way to like, there's no strategy, there's no way to eliminate. You just have yeah. to like, just guess. And you just it's guess. like a bowling split, basically. Exactly. Yeah, you're just like, oh no. You just pick one. <laughs> yeah. And so I start going through and having two of two of them together was the worst because, of course, uh, if it's just one letter, there's typically there's only so many things that possibly go in there. But as soon as you have two, it's like, oh fuck. So I'm cycling through and I get to number five and I'm like, oh no, uh, this doesn't seem like it's good. And then I see one other combo that I haven't tried yet. And I was like, okay, it must be this one because I can't even think of another one. So plop it in and it's like, nah. You didn't get it. And <laughs> that broke like a 46-day win streak for one. But then the worst thing. Oh, no. So I tell my wife this. And she's like, what? How? And she's like, let me see. Let me see your kind of, you know, walkthrough. And she looks at it. And then she spots in the, the second choice that I had made mm-hmm. and the last choice I had made. I used a letter that had already been, that in the second choice had been shown to not be in the word. Oh, no. I had like I a- they- didn't it, you doubled down? Oh, they do let you do that. I thought they didn't even let you use the ones that you've already. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're blacked out on a keyboard, but oh, you can I just still hit meant, them. You I've never even tried to hit them. I just assumed that. Meant yeah. <laughs> so I just like I think at the final one, I was just like, I mean, I don't know, and then just like slapped another word in, for having yeah. not like reviewed the previous couple of pieces. Right. Um, I just fuck. I fucked it up. I fucked it up so good. That's that negative feedback spiral. You know, as the pressure mounts, you you, narrow. you, you change your strategy and mm-hmm. you choke, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, so I choked. Is, I wordle choked get, today. <laughs> the stakes get is so your, high. Is your wordle strategy to try to, like, as you as you get information, you make your first guess, right? And you get some mm-hmm. information. Mm-hmm. Is it then to build and try to add more? St- as in, like, you take that and then try to guess things that include those? Or is it to go for an elimination strategy where you try to, like, Guess just words a that word you don't, entirely. Yeah, you don't care if it's going to think you're just trying to get rid of letters and stuff. Like, what's your? Uh, what's your kinda, I think it kind of depends on the day. I don't have. I haven't done any of the metagaming associated with where I know some people are intense about it. Yeah. So like they always some people guess. Are very intense about it. A do as their first one to get all of the vowels that they can. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not here. I'm not trying to win. I'm not here to like win Wordle. I'm here to play Wordle, which I feel like is a different mode. So I put in a random thing. Some days I do this like second word is also a random word because I just want to see what are the letters I might get. And then some days it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's all over the place. I suppose I should suspect a loss at some point given the complete lack of strategy involved. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what keeps it fun. You know, yeah, you that would get you the there, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think a complete lack of strategy is going to net you one or two losses at some point. But it keeps the tension you know? high, which is, I mean, that's the point. Me, yeah, because yeah. you you don't even know what's gonna happen. Yeah. So like, who knows? Uh, you you don't know what word you're gonna guess next. There's there's no no telling what's gonna happen. Yeah. It keeps it fresh. I should say to anybody who's lost their wordle streak, you know, I feel for you. And no you're shame. not alone. No shame. Mm-hmm. Okay, just get back on that wordle. There are literally horse. dozens of us. Well, I actually probably interesting. a fuckload of people because like wordle. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, wordle. Like just, I mean. 
it's like it's actually like coming from you know person who tries to sell video games for a living, right? It's one of those things that like as I was watching it unfold, uh, it was like November or something when it kind of just suddenly yeah, like really on. blew up, and just I mean everybody, just everybody was playing it, mm-hmm. just. And you can only play it once a day because they they give you a new word every day, right? And then that's mm-hmm. that's it. And just oh, hmm. everybody was playing it, and I was I was very impressed. So yeah. without so a doubt, so people are just like, "Hey, did you get the word today? Yep. Did you get? Yeah, the, exactly. Is everybody get the same word? Everybody's yep, on the same, word. the same word. Yep. Uh, so then there's like cause that's a the it's, social it's a community social thing. Yeah, yeah. I see. Mm-hmm. That's the secret sauce. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, I have some interesting gaming news from this past week. Yeah, what you got? Uh, so uh, about every now nowadays, it's like about every like s- seven months or something like that, there's a new patch in World of Warcraft and they release a, a raid, which is a big place where you get together with like 20 people and you go and you try to kill these really hard bosses mm-hmm. that have really elaborate sort of strategies and they're very difficult. Um and there's a there's several different difficulty levels of these as well. So you go, you can fight the same bosses, but at different difficulty levels. And as you go up the levels, then it gets harder, right? And they add more and more like twists to the fight and stuff like that. So it kind of changes as as it ramps up. And uh, at, whenever these raids come out, there's always a big event called the Race to World First, mm. where where different groups, often typically sponsored. Um, who they do this and they get paid to do this and they stream it on Twitch and stuff. Uh, they get together uh, and they compete as a group to try to be the first group to beat the whole raid on the mm. hardest difficulty level. So uh, it's created this really bizarre arms race between the players and the developers where no matter what the developers do, yeah. the players are able to kind of flatten it this raid. Um, so I think, uh, in the, in the past, I think, uh, there were a few raids that players beat in the first day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like they, like they figured it out. They've, they mastered it and they just, you know, sat there for like 18 hours straight and just nailed Knocked it. it out. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so this time around, I don't know what, I don't know what got into the, the raid encounter designers. I don't know what kind of bee in their bonnet they got. <laughs> But they were like, they were like, not this time. <laughs> okay. And they, they overtuned this, this raid so fucking hard that, uh, that the race to world first just ended, I think yesterday. And the raid came out like three and a half weeks ago. Whoa. Mm-hmm. There's 12 bosses. And, uh, one of the bosses in the middle even took like 370 attempts for like the best group in the world to beat it. Um, and the, there, there's always this rivalry between there's a, a North American team called team liquid. And then there's a European team called echo. Okay. Mm. There's like this, this North America, Europe rivalry that's been going on for years. And uh, liquid was doing great and they were pulling ahead and they got to the last boss first. Mm. Okay. Um, and then, and then they, you could see this really interesting thing happen where like, cause they had been playing for 16 hours a day for three weeks. Jesus. Okay. And what you would see is like, they would 
they would, at the start of any given day, they would be doing like pretty well. And by the time the evening rolled around, yeah. they would be just flopping around like fish out of water. Yeah, like they, they would, they were just out. making, yeah, yeah they're making infinite mistakes, simple things. Like they just couldn't focus. They couldn't do anything. Um, and ultimately team liquid ended up forfeiting. They just said they like, up. we can't do this. Yeah. They were like, we can't do this anymore. Like we've been playing this fucking game for 16 hours a day for three and a half weeks. <laughs> like, could they just take, we had, a, take a break? Well, the problem was like for, for many of them, like, yeah, they like they're getting paid and it's a sponsored thing, but this is the only chunk of time that they get paid for it. Right. Because like once the race to world first is done, it's over. So it's like a seasonal gig mm. and they all have like jobs and families and stuff that they go back to oh, I see. outside of this. And Are they getting they were paid like you know, hourly as in like. If they're, I, I don't know. It's like, it's like, I don't know the details of whatever. Cause each, each group has their own terms that they yeah, you know, yeah. do. Cause well, cause it matters a lot. Cause like, cause like there's a, cause there's the two strategies you can take for paying, right? One is like, there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and you don't get paid unless you get that pot of gold. Right. In mm-hmm. which case the longer that goes on where you're just the more you're burning, invested. you're just burning cash. Right. Then on the one hand, the more you've lost. So you, you're, you could doubling down further. Right. But on the other hand, like the less time you have left, because at some point you can't do this anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so well, it's, but it's kind yeah. of like it's kind of like a boxing match, right? Where like you need both of the boxers there for the match, so they're both going to get paid regardless of who wins, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so, so it's like the fact that this was such a contentious race and that it went on for so long means that it was probably the most lucrative one. Uh, even though they just walked away at the end, you know, mm-hmm. and just like, and they, so liquid just walked away and they were like, this is just way too bad for us physically and mentally. And, and we're going to just stop. And then uh, like still a few days later, I think uh, the European team uh, killed the last boss and won. Um, but yeah, it was just such a, you, it was interesting how in real time you could watch them go from like being the best players in the world mm-hmm. to you could, just you could watch being crunch like, take its toll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could just watch them aging, and you could just watch them just compounding their mistakes and being like unable to communicate over time. Um, oh, that question yeah. of like, yeah, this is it's an interesting visible, you know, as you said, real time example, right? Of Given that once you get to, you hit to that point where you just start making mistakes and you start fucking up and mm-hmm. you're not progressing at that no. point, right? So have, no, you can't do anything. Let's say they played eight hours a day instead of sixteen, right? Yeah. Realistically, like they might have won. <laughs> yeah. Would they? Yeah, like they might have appeared to be slower at the beginning because at the beginning you can put in sixteen hour days for like maybe maybe even two weeks, right? But. Yeah, but at a certain point they needed to pump the brakes because there's a speed limit. There's yeah. a speed limit well, it, it to what to your brain yeah. can do. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, it, it reminds me though of, of how we always talked about game jams, right? Mm. Where like I think at the very first game jam that we did, Sam, we stayed up most overnight. Yep. Yep. Um, but then from that point, like, and that messed us up, right? Oh yeah. Uh, and then like from that point forward, we were like, anytime we do a game jam, it's gonna be regular schedule, mm-hmm. go to bed at a regular time, get up at your regular time. And even doing the, like working on the game, we're not even necessarily going to just, you know, work on it from sun up to sundown. Mm-hmm. Like you, you know, like you typically would, it's, it's like, well, yeah, we'll do it, you know, so it's like a long work day, but it's not a long day. Yeah. We'll, right? we'll take a good lunch and we'll take a, a evening break and stuff. And then maybe like just do a little bit more before mm-hmm. bed or something. But, but on like a 48 hour game jam, 
you know, we're doing like 16 yes, to 20, 20 hours, hours probably, yeah. of, of dev. Um, and, and it's just such a, such a better time. Yeah. You know, like you can, you can be energized and then go into the rest of your week in a good mental space with plenty of energy to go. Uh, and the thing that you made is, is still good. And you didn't have to spend so much time fixing a bunch of bugs because you were too tired when you were programming, mm -hmm. you know, but yeah, it, it, it was interesting to watch this, this play out because there was also, you know, a big conversation where some, some people were talking about how like, oh, here we go. People using this like mental health excuse again to get out of working hard. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like these guys, they, they, they play this for like, a, this game for like a hundred something hours a week. Yeah, like 80 yeah. hours a week is, a, is, a, is way too much. And they were in the over a hundred, right? Like literally every waking hour was doing this thing. And also they slept a lot less too, yep. you know, this idea that like your, your brain is just an, uh, like a, a thing that exists that doesn't require energy. It just doesn't like, wear works, out so that anything that you, you do that you where your brain just starts to not do what you want. Right. That that's somehow now a, like a weak, like it's a personal failing and a weakness, you know, because, because if you like just were, I don't, I don't even know what the rationale is, but like if you were like, whatever it is, the, the idea that like, Oh, you just needed to keep on go. You just needed to work harder. You just need to push through when yeah. like your brain, literally it burned up all of its glucose, right? It's got nothing. It can't even process information. And then you're emotionally drained and emotions aren't a thing you get to control. There's a thing and that then you can't happens, sleep. You know? it's fucked now. And then you can't sleep yeah. and sleeping mm -hmm. does, like re recharges everything. Right. And so you're compounding just like it just it only gets you're turning your brain you're putting it into a different chemical bath like a I completely think, different one you know I wonder if what it is is the sort of the fetishization of hard work is at the end of the day an ego problem because I think it's in some ways a lot more it hurts a lot less to think at the end of the day that someone who's in a position that is better than you at a thing got there might be having a hard time. <laughs> well, no, 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 that they, that they got there simply by doing more instead of because they have figured out a better way to do it. And they actually do or things. Or because they had a lot more privilege. Yeah. Because actually the main, the main source of stratification is, is not merit, right? It's about uh, what you, what people already had access to. Uh, oh yeah. So but I mean, even it's, that, it's that belief that, cause like, well, I'm I think that's the point. That's like, yeah, even when you strip that away, I'm saying like if you if you have two people of say equal background, equal footing, um, but who are performing at one is uh, performing at different levels, basically, uh, the idea that someone could catch up by working by again by working harder is typically it's just usually incorrect because it's oftentimes more so the case that the other person is somehow working differently in a way that is just more effective, so that each get, even any given hour that you give to person A counts a bit more than it does for person B. So it's not necessarily about more hours, right? It's about the same number. If you got the well, same number of hours, how do you get more out of that? It's kind of, well, it's counterintuitive, right? It's like there people are, people are now talking about the idea of a 32 hour work week, mm -hmm. right? Um, where it would be like a four day, four day work week or, or a five day work week, but with, you know, Six shorter days, work right? days yeah. and stuff, you know? And like, we, I think on some level we know, we know that, this is good because when we have our kids go to school, they don't they don't go there from no. nine to five. Their school day ends at three. Mm -hmm. 
you know, because like, yeah, these kids, like, you know, if they're in there too long, they just can't focus anymore. Right. <laughs> and it's like, there's not Although a switch that I mean, flips. Yeah, that's not why it's designed that way. Because it's designed that way so that, you know, when you work your nine hour day, it's likely to be the case that like your kids go to school and then it's like, then you get home and your kids are done with school. Right. It's like meant to overlap with the, well, yeah, I guess if they do sports or something day. afterwards, but yeah. Um, yeah, but it's, but nobody's, nobody's in the U S is advocating like, yeah, we need to actually switch kids to a longer school day so that they learn more, you know, like th- those two things don't really go hand in hand. Right. But somehow we've landed in the, in the camp of, of when it comes to doing, you know, productive work and making things right. That it's just a factor of time, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think that's, that's, True in 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 a sense of if you're doing something that is sort of like um, has a lower mental overhead, you can get more out of it up to a degree by putting in more time. Mm-hmm. Sure, right. But there's also a point where where the value of that time drops off precipitously once you know once you've overtaxed yourself. Then, like we talked, like we're always advocating for the idea of like DevOps and and quality control mm-hmm. on, on the podcast, right? That once you start making mistakes because you're tired, then you just need more time to fix them, mm-hmm. and you end up in a net negative where it's actually you're actually you're actually dub, you're doubling down on the negatives, right? Spending extra time, and then you also have to spend more time. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, mean, I think it's also just it's an interesting and useful constraint to even even this world first situation, like to ask a different question, which is not like how do we get there as fast as possible. Which is just like I guess you just basically go until you're dead or you win, which is sort of the answer, right? Yeah. Instead, it's if you asked it with a constraint included, you'll get way more interesting solutions that oftentimes will, will land you in a space where everyone is working less, getting more done, and having a better time. And it's it's unfortunate mm-hmm. that we think that those that you some that like moving into those spaces is not possible, right? Where it's like you can't you can't have it all, right? And it's like, no, 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 no. It's kind of like the quality movement with code, right? It's like, you don't understand until you experience it that it is not the case that higher quality is associated with higher cost, right? In terms of yeah. what ends up happening on like this whole scope of a project. And I think it's kind of the same thing here. It's like, what, what would it look like for if you ask the question, how do we get to world first while only rating for eight hours a day? What would it look like? Well, I think all you have to do is you'd have to... It, it would it would have to be on the developer. They would have to standardize it because right now what happens is this this race happens on the live servers with people's regular normal characters that they play. And so when the new raid comes out, they have to go do a bunch of other stuff too because they have to go uh, go gear up their characters and they have to like level up different aspects of their characters to make them strong enough to progress through the the raid. Mm-hmm. And so the first chunk of any given week is them not even doing the raid. They're just out doing a bunch of other stuff uh, in order to try to like get caught up mm-hmm. so that they, you know, they can do enough damage or, or whatever it is. And so uh, all that they would have to do is, is treat this the same as they treat other uh, in-game events because they do have things like PvP tournaments. And they have a thing called the Mythic Dungeon International where teams of players get together and they go to, to – beat dungeons as fast as they can. Like like, it's like this, but five man. Yeah. And so, but those take place on a special tournament realm where you go there and they just give you whatever gear you choose, mm. right? You don't have to, you don't have to spend any time making your character stronger. Your character just has exactly the things that you want it to have based on what you think is best. 
and then you go try to do the content. So it's all about skill at that point. But right? what a weird thing though, right? Because like if, if you're running that guild, even with that particular constraint, who says the people who do basically the high expertise uh, rating should be the people who spend the first four or five days leveling up that particular character? Not rating. Yeah. Like <laughs> just just yeah. allow someone who's studied, who's like studying the puzzle. Like, I don't know if you got understudies or how the fuck the esports stuff works, but like have someone else do that part so that your team and the other team can be studying the other groups. Right. Have some, have some, uh, some interns come in and go gear up your character. And then you come yes, in <laughs> because it's well, not- no, cause again, like that, cause that's against the terms of service. Cause that's account sharing. Like only one person can play the same account or you get banned. Right. Yeah. But oh. this, I mean, this, I, this isn't yeah. a developer problem though, right? Because they, like, no. they're not making this meta game concept. Right? Well, well, like- but, well, but what they have to, what they have to appreciate is that like that the community has decided that, that getting world first, whatever, is a big deal, right? Um, and so, but they aren't doing anything to try to sort of control that community event. And so, what it has turned into then is this sort of this sort of uh, race, not necessarily against the other teams, but against like your own physical limitations as a human being. You know, mm. like it, it, it's encouraging these groups of twenty people to just destroy themselves as, as people, you know? So as the developers, they're, they're, they're not stepping in and saying like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to have a, a sort of like official race to world first on a tournament realm. And you get eight hours per day of time in the raid. And, and you, and you don't have to spend any time gearing your, your characters or whatever. So if they did that, um, then you could have those constraints. You, then you, it would just be about skill, and everybody would be subject to the same the same constraints. And it would maybe would sort of level the playing field in a lot of cases because one of the things that these groups have that other people don't have is just the ability to play for sixteen hours <laughs> yes, a day for yes. three weeks. Right? Like that's so much that it's just impossible for people with families mm-hmm. and jo- and like other things that they have to do. And any, it's even almost impossible for these people to do it, right? Because like they did have to call it quits after three weeks because some of them did have to go back to their family. Yeah. So if you if you level the playing field and make it an official event, um, but the problem is that you know the developers are just totally hands off with it, and they're just saying like this is just a thing that's happening, and we're not really. Yeah, like, still, you know, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not because like okay. So let's say you do step in and you say okay, here's the official version of this with all these rules, and then as a community, we're like. Well, no, but the the valuable thing here was the race. That was the thing, right? And you can't get that if you like spool it out and you limit it because like every incentive is to put in more time because the idea is that that's what a race is. You know, you just keep on going until you get there first. So why wouldn't the community just still do it? You know, and that would just be a separate like as well, in like I think I think the they official do one it. and there's like whatever like people are into about that whatever like a claim you get as a community member for, for beating it in that way. But then why wouldn't you just still also have this? Cause now this, cause now the idea would be the group who supposedly is like unconstrained by time limits or whatever the limits are right now. Like they have a new challenge, which is, can we get there faster than these like maximally leveled people who already There's have no everything way. they need or whatever. Right. Be, or it's another, another question. Days. is who can get there. But yeah. It's another question is like, oh. who can get there the fastest without doing the official one? Like it doesn't feel like a game worth playing as a developer trying to like, because because here's the thing that like, the thing that rose me the wrong way about this is that the, is that my understanding of World of Warcraft is they're trying to deliver fuckloads of content, just yeah. fuckloads of it. Its intent is not to be like played st- 
start like the entirety start to finish of the content as fast as possible. And it's not, and it's so much content. It's actually specifically not for that. It's not supposed to be a thing you can do and you can approach in a healthy way, like a healthy way of like trying to as quickly as possible, exhaust the content. Cause the whole idea is content scale. Right. So like, that's the part. Well, they they have, they have a, no, they have, they have a two part problem, right? Because what they've actually moved into a model that's a bit more about leverage, which is like it's not about having lots of content; it's about having lots of ways to engage with the same content. Oh, sure, uh, that's, but that's still and, just and then content. like sure, and that, but then that so then that content kind of kind of lasts a lot longer, which is the idea of having multiple difficulty levels. So they're like you can clear, you know, the raid on a lower difficulty level with your group maybe in the first week, you know, without much issue. But then you go to the next tier of difficulty, and then suddenly it's a big challenge and you work together as a team to beat that. Right. So there's always like an appropriate challenge for any group of people and you've always got stuff to kind of work toward. Right. But, um, but the idea then that like this, this race has to exist in the same space as the rest of the game. Well, my point is it doesn't have to exist, you know, like that's the point that I'm making. Like, well, it does. It does though. I guess to me, like, this it is a just parallel. does exist. Oh no, exactly. <laughs> to me, this is, to me, yeah. this is a parallel to speed running in general, right? Which is, Games are not made for speedrunning. That's not their purpose, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a hardcore community of people who, like, that's their thing. They figure out how to speedrun the game. They learn all the tricks. like, And, like, and that stuff yeah. is very cool, right? But the games aren't designed for that. And so if if you're trying to them, if you say basically like, oh, well, people are going to speedrun it, right? And we want to make sure that that these things that are antithetical to speedrunning uh, then don't get in the way, right? Mm. Then now you're designing a game for speedrunning. Like, the, you can't, like, you have to... If you're going to then say, like, actually, this is part of the game, which is not, like, I'm not saying you can't or shouldn't, right? But that's now actually building that into the design. Well, but here's where the sinister part comes in, okay? Because the race to the world first is the time when WoW gets the most Twitch views ever, right? Mm. It's getting hundreds of thousands of Twitch viewers a day during the entire race to world first. So the incentive is really high. And this is where I was talking about the idea of like the arms race between the developers and the players. Because like, mm, why should the developers care if the players beat it in three days? Well, it's because people mm. stop watching once the race to World First is over, right? Mm. So they want the race to World First to last as long as possible. So one of the things that they've done, this, uh, this raid tier, is they have made it so that there are really explicit time gates for the entire player base on how powerful their character can get during the first six weeks. So that essentially during the first few weeks of the raid tier, everybody is sort of, their their power level is artificially suppressed to drag out the race to world first as long as possible. But isn't that exactly what you were advocating for, for designing it so that you have a time limit? Like it's the same concept, right? It's no, I'm like, saying I'm saying the time limit would be on the on the tournament realm where you just get to have everything. And that way that way the rest of the game that is the real game, the live game, mm-hmm. uh doesn't have to artificially deflate things for players and whatever. Uh because they also have like they have like prize pools and stuff for official tournaments for player versus player and other things. They don't do that for the race to world first, right? So they're kind of like parasitically jumping on the back of this race to world first realizing that it's great press and publicity mm, for the game. And yeah. then they're, they're actually re-engineering the player experience for, for everybody else uh, and making it a little bit worse and a little bit harder because these other players are so good at the game that they just keep beating the content too fast. And then the race to world first is over too fast, mm. right? So it's this really weird, like, it's clear it clearly influences the design of the game. 
and they're making it as hard as possible to draw it out. And it's just like, it's just this weird kind of tangled mess. And my, my stance on it is just like in that, in that case, it's such an important pillar Oh, yeah. of how if it actually the is community part of the game design, then yeah, they should actually be taking yeah. into account all of yeah. the aspects of the impact of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Because because it's now reached a point where you know the incentive on the developers is to drag it out as long as possible. And because they have done that, then now you've got these groups of people who who just who can't even finish the thing, even though they're professionally doing it, you know, being paid and everything. And they just they've reached the ends of mm. their physical capabilities. Um, and I think that's bad. I think that's that's pretty unhealthy. You oh know, yeah, I, yeah. I think like, I think it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I think there's just like a lot of interesting stuff mixed up in this. Oh yeah, the right. whole thing is just like a spaghetti, yeah, nightmare and of incentives and mm, design and yeah. Well, because yeah, and to me it's like because I I, I, understand, I get your point that like that the incentive is for for Blizzard to basically make it so that that thing lasts as long as possible, right? Mm-hmm. But the design yeah. of that thing is not by Blizzard, right? They're they're basically taking this thing that exists that was designed elsewhere, like this yeah, competition, they're leveraging right? it basically. and they're and they're trying to leverage it by like live, working underneath its rules, which are basically like the longer it takes, the more people watch. But it's all about time spent. That's the mm-hmm. that's the whole thing, right? And so they so they're working their own design against that design, right? And yeah, they, if they actually cared about people, then they would be doing that differently. And so that's bad. Yeah, uh, absolutely agreed. Um, but the the original source of the of the of the design of the competition, right, uh, is starting from that premise that we were talking about earlier, which is that which is that the only metric that matters is getting there first, right? And the only the only tool at your disposal is like throwing yourself at it, just like, and that's it, without yep. any understanding or recognition that that's only true for a very short termed uh, kind of an event. Where you actually can yeah. throw your whole self at a thing for a small number of days or something, like a weekend or a week, I yeah, guess. A week at the at most, if yeah, yeah. At, the, at the very high end of it. And and so I think like because the other side of this is that if if it usually takes like a day or two or a few days for like that to happen, then actually all this totally makes sense, right? As in terms of like mm-hmm. that design, right? But what this actually reveals is a des- is that is the design flaw of a of a system whose only metric is there's an unknown thing that is going to happen, whatever it is, right? Once it happens, a clock starts, right? And we don't know what it is. We have, it could, it could be take any amount of time, right? And the only metric we have, the only metric for success is that once that clock starts, you are done first, right? And that's it, which is actually how we treat, like, this is how like work is dealt with most of the time, right? There's, you're handed an assignment, it's got a deadline. It's the same idea, exactly the same idea, right? And it doesn't matter that you didn't know what it was. You don't know if you're prepared for it. It doesn't look exactly like the thing you just did the last time. So the time estimate is meaningless, right? Um, all that matters is, well, there's there's a clock, right? Mm-hmm. And and then the idea that you just throw your whole self at it until it's done, right? Mm-hmm. Like that component right there is like the key failing of most systems of work, right? And and here with, with this this like highlighted that exact thing, which is like, which is, yeah, there's a bunch of things going on here all at the same time and all of them are not great, right? But one of them is just, oh, hey, we saw, we've discovered a design flaw in this competition, mm-hmm. right? To me is like the, the key takeaway, um, given the assumption that, well, even if Blizzard is trying to do things like to pull, draw out the competition and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. That it's still like, 
it's not the design of the competition. It's not giving out the role. It's not doing that kind of stuff. So the, it's just like when we're, you know, it's like we deal with the shittiness of trying to sell games in the, in the market that we're in, right. Or the markets that we're in. Right. Yeah. And it's like impossible. Like we, we, you know, we, we don't control any aspect of the markets, but we understand it. We like, we get to figure out the incentives are, and then we just do our best to try to like align what we're doing with that in a way that works. And it's, it's the same thing there is that that competition, that external thing to Blizzard um, has a whole bunch of things it's trying to do. And yeah. most of that is make money, you know, right? Like sure, Blizzard is also, you know, doing okay off of that, right? But um, but like they wouldn't be doing this. They wouldn't have these prize pools. They would be doing all that kind of stuff. If there wasn't somehow money, you know, in that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so it's the same, it's just the same problem, which is like, like my immediate takeaway would be to, as like the, as that entity would be to say, well, Blizzard is, the, is whatever it is, right? We don't control that. We control our competition over here. And this... This or the design of this thing cannot succeed when the thing that we're working against that we don't control looks like this, right? So how do we redesign it? Um, yeah. So yeah, it's yeah, like it's yeah, if sure. It's, Blizzard should do less, you know, anti-human things. Like in response to this, absolutely. Uh, but given that they won't, um, well, but, know, but it's also is, it's also kind of like. Um, it's an interesting indication of, of how the, des- the des- design of a game system creates certain ways of thinking about that system, right? Because like the fact that that it is a race to the, be the first to do this thing, right? And then once somebody becomes the first, all interest in that thing just com- just drops off precipitously, right? Mm-hmm. I think a reason for that is that there are no inherent systems in the game that demonstrate that you've done a good job in this context Mm -hmm. other than if you were the first one, right? So like there's no like speed running of this raid. There's no like world fastest clear of the raid. There's nothing in there that that keeps track of any of that stuff, right? And so for example, if if the Oh, I see. If instead it, it, right, if instead it was angled more toward like who can clear this whole raid the fastest, mm-hmm. then it's no longer about making it so unbelievably difficult that the best players in the world can't even do it. It's about being impressed by how fast the best players in the world can clear the whole thing. Maybe they can clear the whole thing in two hours, you know, in the first week. And like that's a big deal. And then the next week, like somebody comes in at an hour and forty, and that's a big deal. You know, it's like it's yeah. like running an actual race. Yeah, because first is because like the because most perverse incentive aligned sort of mechanism. Generally, that you could be yeah <laughs> because it's a zero sum game. Like as soon as someone gets first, the whole thing's over, and and it's no longer interesting. But if it was more about mm. just general speed and skill, and there were there were systems in the game that uh dem- that like showcased that, that yeah. showed your timers and showed those things, then and you may have ongoing efforts to do these speed runs, basically where you'd have potentially good viewership and stuff like that over a long yeah. arc time. Yeah, because then the best groups in the world would be like, okay, this week we're going for like an hour and 20 clear. Let's see what we can do, mm-hmm. right? And then like, mm-hmm. that's interesting to watch and it's cool. Um, and so like, yeah, it's it's something that I think could be addressed by systemic changes inside inside the game, but it's, it's, int- it's weird because uh, the default is to just accept the framing of it is like, this is how it works and it's just going to be a race to the first. So the developer's approach instead was was to say, okay, how do we just draw that out as much as possible mm-hmm. instead of trying to just change, you know, change the framing of the thing entirely to something that works better for everybody and doesn't, you know, destroy people. 
Yeah. Uh, well, so, and, and then is yeah, that's an important thing. Of, and, and we talk about this a lot uh, for all of our games, which is always be thinking about the incentives of your for anything, but your design, the design of something, right? Uh, is what are the incentives that that creates? And I think the point here probably is that you don't get to control the mm-hmm. you don't get to control which incentives actually become the ones that people. Yes. latch on to right and so yeah. you and you can't even predict them necessarily like you can do a lot to predict stuff given just what you know about people right yeah and but, different people respond to things differently so mm-hmm. you know some groups will be really into thing a and some groups will be really into thing b and you know yeah it's hard to tell yeah but and anytime you then discover one of these things though where it's like oh shit like we've made we've made this perverse incentive right uh figuring out what you actually want to happen instead mm-hmm. right and trying to just change because, like, because here I think that's to your point. Like, they just kept the incentive, right? Right. We were like, okay, yeah, it's yeah. rolled first, right? So, so now that's what created what you described as an arms race, right? It's like, well, Blizzard has the incentive to extend this out as long as possible. This other group has the incentive to be first, right? And so you end up with these competing incentives that only have one possible long-term outcome, right? Which is destruction. Everybody's unhappy, right? Yeah. And so seeing that, and instead opting out and take and taking a sideways approach right like, yeah let's change the game here you know mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah that would be ideal I, I don't know probably probably won't happen but it's been interesting <laughs> to watch mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all right well we have time for uh for one question uh, and this question comes from Sauvignon who says how do you set the price of a game do things Ooh. like replay value? Or uniqueness make much difference, or are you mostly bound by what the market is like and the fact that you're an indie studio within it? And how does the presence of subscription services impact your pricing? So I'll say a handful of bullets on this. One, yeah, this is a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, markets are surprisingly distinct. What I mean by that is, if you have, say, a premium game on mobile that also is on the Switch, do not think you should price them the same. The market is individual to that particular platform, and you should price accordingly for that platform. So don't go trying to sell a game for $20 on mobile just because it's $20 on Steam. doesn't make any sense. And you might say, it's the same game, but you got to think about it like an exchange rate. Mm -hmm. You know, if you buy buy a hamburger in one country and then the same hamburger in another country, is it going to cost the same? Mm -mm. No, because they're the because money has different meaning, mm-hmm. like in those contexts, right? Yeah. So, like, doesn't so, matter that the thing is the same. The the price is 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 can, it can be it's it should be different. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's number one. Number two, you should always uh, indies price their games lower than they should, almost universally, mm-hmm. and you should price your game basically as high as you can physically stomach. Uh, yeah. Whatever, <laughs> it's, it's, what can you get away with is the question and, you should be asking. Yeah, and the main reason is because, again, of incentives, which is that all of the platforms run sales constantly. It is not in your best interest remotely to have be the case that you're starting from a lower number uh, to begin with when the incentive of the entity that holds the thing, that shows the thing that you gave them to people, is to always give it to them for a lot less than the sticker price. So that's number one. Yeah. Most of, well, most of your units are going to be during sales periods, yes. during big discount periods. Yeah. The next one on that, and the kind of follow-up, is that we have done pricing experiments with Crashlands. Uh, one on mobile, where we went from $5 to $7, our revenue did not change. Mm-hmm. Except we were able to sell at a higher price while being on sale, which means it went up. Okay? So yep. 
on Steam, we went from $15 to $10, thinking maybe it felt overpriced. Our revenue and our sales went down. Surprise. Fewer people bought it at a lower price. Price does not because it, just about the price, right? It's a signal about the quality of the thing. It's a it's a whole bunch of in others. the Steam market. Ten dollars is a cheap game. It's a, it's an indicator that people actually use, right? If they see like a five, yes. if they see a five, like if I see a five dollar game in Steam, I don't even I don't even pause to look at it, right? Because I'm like, oh, this is going to be something in like, it. Yeah, there's nothing yeah. in it, probably. Right? <laughs> and uh, and ten dollars is also in that market. And, and the thing the thing to always remember is that you're you're trying to price your game relative to like what you know is in there, right? Mm-hmm. But nobody knows what the fuck's in there, right? So yeah. like, it's actually part of your marketing. It's the same problem you have when you're trying to explain to somebody through marketing what your game is and why they should buy it, which is the price is actually one of the tools that you have to use for that. And if that number is small, then the assumption someone's going to make is, oh, this is a small game with like nothing in it. And that might be true, but that's actually kind of irrelevant, you know, mm-hmm. like to the to to you as the person trying to sell the game. Uh, because it's the person actually doesn't like a person will care if they get in and they're like, Oh, I spent 20 bucks. And like the way that I think of this and is in dollars per hour, because I'm, you know, I'm your average. Gamer, <laughs> right? uh, and, uh, <laughs> and so it's so like, so now like they might, so like a handful of people will get upset if they feel like it's overpriced. Right. Yeah. That, like that happens. And you get a handful of like, like a, a percentage of negative reviews as a consequence on games that are like that. Right. But those games, though, those games that like have those negative reviews are mostly pretty successful games, right? Mm-hmm. Because they were priced high enough that people bought it in the first place because they use that indicator to say yes. like, well, oh, that's what I should go. I should, I, should take a, I should take a look at it because there's something in here of value, right? Mm-hmm. The confusion is what is that source of value? And that's where the contention comes from, right? But you don't have to buy the premise that, that the thing is time spend or amount of content or whatever, right? Uh, it's whatever the value proposition that you think is like, that's the thing that you're selling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people will disagree with you cause they'll, cause people value different things, fine. right? Yeah. And that's totally fine. fine. And, yep. uh, yeah. And then as far as subscriptions go, uh, again, subscriptions are essentially a separate market, even when they're on the same store, largely from what we've seen, uh, at least currently they, they represent, uh, what I would say additional income that does not cannibalize on the sort of direct sales stuff. And in fact, most oftentimes seems to provide an enhancement because it provides the game to a lot of people who wouldn't necessarily have purchased it outright, who then talk about it and give it some sort of lift on uh, charts and sort of thing. And I know I've talked about in the past how I think Steam does need to have an answer to Game Pass. And I still believe that's true, which seems contradictory to the idea that these are not somehow cannibalizing each other, especially with my own my own experience, which is that I don't necessarily buy games anymore. Um I play them on Game Pass generally on Xbox or uh, you know, on PC. But I think it's the case that by and large, one, not every game, if a game is available on both, then I think it makes sense that, you know, if you happen to have access to both things, you're probably going to play it in the subscription service. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, not all games are available on both those things. Not all people are. Yeah, I, th- I think, I think, the dis- I think the distinction in terms of like where the cannibalization happens is that if someone isn't in a subscription service currently, and they see your game, and they get to choose, do I buy this subscription service to get this game, or do I buy this game, right? That there are essentially two groups of people who and mm-hmm. who are more or less separate, where there are some people who will be like, oh, I'll just buy the subscription because then I can also get other games, blah, 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 right? And there's another group who will just buy the game. And mm-hmm. that's, kind of, that's, like, that's where the separation is, right? But at the moment, though, somebody already has the subscription, and your game is already in there, mm-hmm. then that calculus completely changes because now... They, they have it, right? So 
like with because presumably you're kind of, you're talking about Xbox Game Pass here, right? Where mm-hmm. now the now the first question I have every time I see a game is, do I already have this? You know, like can I just go? Yeah, this is the first question. Game Pass. And if the answer is no, then it's like okay, well now now I answer the question: Do I want to buy it? Right. Yeah. So it's not. It's like a weird. Uh, well, that's true too. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because you might. Right? Yeah. Because now the, the question about whether you're going to buy it. Uh, might yeah right it comes after actually because first you it still comes if you if you already have it then you don't need then you might just go play it even though you wouldn't have bought it right and so now all of a sudden you're playing a game you wouldn't have played because you have a subscription service right when so you so that so your sale hasn't been taken away from the buy once group because it was never going to happen in the first place yeah so there's there's some interesting stuff there but at the end general the those to me are the big beats on pricing of stuff Uh, there's a lot of good writing and some good talks uh, out there on this sort of thing too. But I, the general rule of thumb is as high as you can stomach and quit thinking as an indie that it's anti-consumer to ask people to pay you money for the shit That's that you the made. Big one. That's the mm-hmm. dumbest thing. Just knock it off. <laughs> knock it off. It takes a while to get over, well, but knock it off. Well, I, I think I think framing of it of the price as an indicator of quality to me works well to counteract yes. that indie mindset because if you basically say if you price your game at the highest that you that you think you know people would be willing to pay for it then what you're actually doing is you are bringing in an audience of people who are ready to receive your game as a high quality game and want to play it mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. if you price it really low then you are explicitly telling people don't play my game mm-hmm. right do you want people to play your game Mm-hmm. Then, mm-hmm. then increase the price. <laughs> yeah. You're basically telling them this isn't very good. This is, yeah. Yep. Yeah. A- anti-consumer is doing something that keeps people from consuming your game, which is selling it really cheaply. So don't do that. <laughs> be, be pro. Be pro consumer. Get people to consume your game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and the, the and the thing to remember with all this is so so that's that's all true. But when, and when it comes to the you trying to sell on a storefront, the only thing that matters is visibility. It's just the only thing. If your yes. if your game is a dollar, your game is thirty dollars. If the storefront doesn't show it to anybody, it doesn't fucking matter, right? And so, most of this comes down to just what do you need to do for that storefront, given how it works, uh, to convert your pricing strategy into visibility, if that's possible, yes. right? So, as Sam said on Steam, that's be able to be on sale basically constantly, right? And and that's actually what your selling price is. So, like our selling price for Levelhead. Which is a twenty dollars priced mm-hmm. game, right? Is basically fifteen bucks, right? Because mm-hmm. that, it's on sale all the time. It goes on sale, <laughs> and, and, and it's because and it's on sale for that rate. Um, but the reason we do these things, and actually, and we've we've looked at we've looked across all of our all of our platforms with our core games, and look at just like what happens. What is the week before a sale versus the week after week of a sale look like, right? And what we've basically found is that if the store is strongly incentivizing sales, and that's what they use to boost visibility, then that's the thing. Like that's the reason. It's not. It's not that being on sale caused you to get more sales because people mm-hmm. wanted to buy it more. Even it's actually because being on sale caused the store to show it to people, right? And so yes. more people bought it, right? And this, I think, and this of course, you there's like both right? things are happening, but it's actually it's not as simple as just oh, it's cheaper, so I'm going to buy it, right? It's it's not that's even wildly close inaccurate. To yeah, it's basically yeah. it's cheaper. Which means that because for some reason the platform cares that we made it cheaper, then now they show it to people finally instead of burying it. Mm-hmm. That's what's yep. actually happening. And so you, people are not buying your game because it's cheaper. 
they're buying it because they fucking saw it. Yeah. It's, and we even it. did sales experiments. So, you know, so Sam mentioned the ones where we just changed the, the base price, but we also did experiments on mobile with Crashlands where we, we just changed the sale price. And we've done this with Steam too, just to like see mm-hmm. what happens. But on mobile, we have better data, so it's easier to tell like what happened, right? And we found that like for the most part, at at best, you just break even as you increase the discount size. Yep. Mostly you actually lose though. Mostly the steeper the sale is that you have, the less money you actually make, given what you could have if you had not gone steeply. Because mm-hmm. the most important thing is like our strategy is to do the smallest discount most of the time that we can get away with that will trigger whatever visibility the store has. Right. Yep. yep. Like that's that's the whole strategy. But there are things where, you know, like Steam's uh daily deal, where it's yep. like to get in there, huge fucking discount. But again, why does it matter though? Because like the visibility the deal. Is it's the visibility, right? So like so the the cost of entry is that we have to put the game on like 60% off or whatever crazy number, right? Like that's how we get in there, and yeah, like people, and but also there's and there's a community around that. Like the the understanding of that thing is it's a cheap game. Like that's the whole idea, right? So like there's a, but they're not like it's not because your game is sixty percent off that like a fuckload of people more no, buy it. Because that's not, it's that's not what's happening. It's because the they're seeing page. it. Now. Yes, because yeah. they're seeing it, and it's part of this yeah. cultural artifact. This you know this daily deal concept, right? Well, and this this kind of then as a as a final weird economics note on this. Um, there's this concept of, of elasticity of demand, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which economists use to talk about about how demand changes in response to price, right? It's the supply so, demand curve, right? Or no, that's a different thing. Yeah, it, it is, but it's but it's basically the shape of the curve, right? Right. Um, and so they often people often use the idea of say like um, gasoline as an inelastic thing, which is which is that as the price changes a bunch, demand doesn't really change. You got to buy the gas because you've got a car, right? Mm-hmm. And whatever the price is, you're just going to buy it, right? Um, whereas uh, maybe some more like leisure products or entertainment things or whatever, it's like, oh, uh, if the price of a movie ticket, you know, triples, I just won't go to the theater, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So demand will, will go down. But when you go uh, a third as often, right? That's the question. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so the yeah, the elasticity then is about the ratio. So if some if something is elastic, that means that reducing the price by say like half will actually cause you to generate more revenue because the demand changed price, yeah. more than what the price change was, right? And so, what's weird about games is people often will talk about them as kind of this like commodity, right? Um, like a potato or something. <laughs> but the fact is like each game is unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you can't, you can't say that the, the demand curve for a game is elastic mm-hmm. because if somebody wants to buy that Elden game, Ring, yeah, yeah, that's, then that's they, the only one of it. Yeah. Like that one person isn't going to buy more Elden Ring if the price changes. They're just going to, that person's going to buy it once. Mm-hmm. And the longer they wait to buy it, the more they're missing out on participating in mm-hmm. the community of other people who are playing that game, right? And so whatever the price is becomes much less of a factor because it's like gas. It's like gasoline, right? Like if you want to fuel up your Elden Ring desire, yep. then whatever the price of it is it's is what you have to pay, pay to get it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so – so there, there is like there is some response, like like of course demand does change for price, um, but it what we found is that it's actually far more inelastic than you would think. Yeah, yeah. For, every for every experiment game. we've done, and and the data is not 
it's like it's it's good enough that I believe it, but it's not so good that I'm like I would just yeah. you know, put everything behind the idea, right? But everything that we've tried and every experiment and all the data that we've looked at for our own stuff, the only result we've ever gotten is that if we charge more, we make more, and if we discount less, we make more. But yep. dis- and that on which is the same thing, which yeah. is the same thing, yeah. But, but yeah. it's like the, the impact of being on sale because, like, the, there's the idea that like being on sale has a psychological effect, which is true, right? Um, but it's actually just the fact that it's on sale is more important than correct, the and it's likely extent to get you know? it's likely to get visibility and then visibility on sale gets yep. surfaced in the store, more people see well, it. And I think actually a good example of that is on uh, on Apple. So Apple doesn't have like on, on the, the yep. App Store, they don't have. Any indicator that a game is on sale, there's just a price. So if you no put your game on sale, yeah, there's no strike through pricing, right? So if you put your game on sale, that's not being advertised, actually. Right? But, it's yeah, just, the number goes down, but nobody knows that it's technically a sale right now. Yeah, right? makes sense. Yep. And yep. what what we see on Apple when we we don't do sales anymore, actually, for this reason, but like what we see in, on our numbers in the app store is that if we go on sale. We just make we just make less like we don't get any more visibility and we make less money, right? Because we, make, we sell the same number of units and we just make less money per unit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. because because yeah, the, no one that's, that's again, yeah, that's again that indicator of like the fact that the, the price isn't the thing that's causing people to decide to buy it or not, actually, right? Or I mean, it is, but to a much weaker extent than you think. Um, yep. But if we just had that strike through pricing, like I bet you anything, we'd at least be breaking even, but oh, yeah. maybe not more than that. But we'd at least be breaking even, probably doing better than that. But then if the store itself was like, oh, this is on sale, let me show it to people who like to buy stuff on sale, right? Then that's that final then it, then piece worth that actually doing. does yep. it. Yep. Yeah. So there's, you know, I guess there's a lot to it, but long and the short of it is as high as you can. How high can you go? As high as you can. <laughs> Uh, all right, well, that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, ways for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.